Welcome to Podcast, our new show number 33. This is the podcast where we round up some recent items that are newsworthy in podcasting but weren't quite enough for us to write them up on the podcasternews.com website all on their own. My name is Sean Thorpe and I'm with... I am Jen Thorpe. And uh, we have some items to go over this time around. So Jen, why don't you get started? Okay, so the first two articles we're going to talk about... Uh, go together because they're both talking about the EW Scripts buying Stitcher. Yes. Okay, so they're both together. And I'm going to start with this one uh, from uh, John Gruber on the Daring Fireball blog. And he wrote about, just quickly wrote up that, um, you know, Scripps had bought Stitcher and, you know, mid-roll is part of Scripps. And uh, to summarize, I'm going to pull this sentence out. Mid-roll owning Stitcher is not good for the podcast ecosystem. And he goes on to explain about that. Um, It's, you know, uh, this could get long. Um, (laughs) But the blog (laughs) is very short. And that was kind of the point in there um, that it's just not a good idea. Uh, He says that... um, uh, Stitcher is popular, but my show is not on Stitcher because Stitcher rehosts the audio, compresses it to hell, and unless you opt out and search their own ads. That's not how podcasting is supposed to work. I firmly believe podcasting should be open like the web. Um, so this is part of why he thinks that Midroll, which is known for inserting ads into podcasts, yes, kind that of what is they their do. business. Yeah. That's their business, um, is not good. You know, the, the combination of Midroll and Stitcher is not good for the podcast ecosystem. That's kind of his main point. Sure. And so this blog that I just read to you is uh, one that was picked up by Marco Arment on Marco.org, who we talk about a lot. He's got some great ideas. And he kind of took that idea and ran with it. So he has a blog post on his Marco.org called Large Podcast Advertising Company Buys Large Proprietary Podcast Player. And the title alone really gives you a bit, you know, a big clue as to how this is all linking up together. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, there's just a couple of things in here I'm going to pull out. Um, Stitcher is the original proprietary podcast platform built on business deals and marketing instead of quality. Uh, you know, that now, is true. Yeah, you that's kind of that, what, yeah. what it says in this blog. I'm not sure if um, I. I think that's his work. He's got a link to Wall Street Journal, but I don't think that was a quote from Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I may be incorrect, but I I think that's I think I'm perceiving this correctly. Um, so. You know, he goes on to say podcasters much must register with Stitcher and agree to their onerous terms to be playable in the app at all. And Stitcher users don't play the podcast files directly from the podcaster servers like nearly every other podcast app. They hear more compressed versions rehosted by Stitcher with worse audio quality and Stitcher's ads inserted between them, which is kind of what, you know, John Gruber was talking about. And he links to him and talks to him there. Um, and he goes on to say that, you know, wide appeal shows on Stitcher, um, I think he's talking about Stitcher. Yeah, only get about 3% of their audience from Stitcher. That's so if true. you're if you're a huge show, you're getting about 3% of your audience from Stitcher. Um, tech focused shows get much less. Uh, he thinks it's because Stitcher's app is awful. That's his words in there. It's his opinion. And so given these tiny rates, it's not worth giving up control and contributing to the locking down of an open medium that's doing just fine without these middlemen. I think that's his main point. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot to think about with this, you know, I don't know, with mid-roll buying Stitcher, you know, exactly, you know, if you have a podcast on Stitcher, which we do, um, I don't know if it's this one, but we've had at least one on there. Um, yeah. 
And if you've got it, it's something to think about. Well, a few things that I want to address from both of these articles, and Gruber makes some interesting points, but a lot of those things that he's critical about Stitcher, some of them, if you care, you can reverse for your own show. And he talks about how you can opt out of advertising, which is still for the most part true on Stitcher. You can opt out if you don't want ads. And the way Stitcher works and when it was originally developed, their emphasis was on making it easy to consume podcasts on mobile. So their thinking was, we're going to ingest everyone's original audio we're going to transcode it down to, I've heard 56, uh, you know, uh, KBPS, which is pretty low for a podcast. And maybe it's lower, I'm really not sure. And the reason for that is they wanted to make it easy for people to listen on mobile so they're not burning through a ton of bandwidth. But if you ask them to, they will stop doing that. They will serve your original media to anybody that listens so the the upside for you is your listeners on Stitcher will get higher quality audio. The downside for them is they're going to burn through more data depending on how they're using the app. And really, Stitcher was the first one of these platforms. There are several now that are work that that work under the idea of reserving your content. So the thing about podcasting has always been, and I mean this goes back to the very beginning. And iTunes adopted this model as well. So if you subscribe to a podcast in iTunes, the iOS podcast app, when someone downloads your podcast through those clients, they are getting it from your server. They're not getting it from Apple. Apple doesn't take your file, rehost it, cache it, resend it. It's coming from you when someone listens to it on there. And most other apps work that way. Stitcher was the first one to do this. Google Play Music is doing it now. They're doing the, the re-posting? They're, yes, they're, okay. doing the, they're doing it in the same way Stitcher is. Now, they're doing their transcode at a higher level from what I understand. I, I don't know the spec on that off the top of my head, but it's higher than Stitcher because unlike Stitcher, they're not saying we're focused specifically on making this mobile friendly and of course Stitcher's been around for a while and this was before people had even modestly reasonable mobile data rates so that's changed and has made things a bit easier but when Stitcher started that wasn't necessarily the case and the Spotify beta podcast program is doing the same thing they ingest your audio they they transcode it they stream it to you and I uh, spent some time on the Spotify support forum, and uh, this is kind of a funny aside, but Spotify will allow you to take a certain number of songs, if you're a paying customer, and have them offline. So you're effectively downloading them into the Spotify app on your device, so that if you're in an area where you don't have connectivity you can still listen to a certain amount of songs and they just play to you right off the device. It doesn't need to go back to Spotify's server and stream the songs. Well, apparently people are complaining that have access to podcasts through Spotify that they can't actually access uh, those podcasts offline. 
So Spotify has effectively broken the fundamental rule of podcasting. You can't, I mean, the, the platform is not designed for you to download podcasts like, say, iTunes and most of the other app, Overcast, Marco's app, a lot of the other apps, the way they work. But it's funny because Spotify has broken that very fundamental way that podcasts work. You can't take podcasts on their platform offline at all. You can only listen to them as streaming. And Stitcher would be the same thing. I don't think Stitcher offers any actual uh, offline playback at all. But getting back to these two articles, I think these guys have some really valid points. Personally, I've never been an anti-whatever when it comes to these directories. If they want to take my show and, you know, put overlay ads or put uh, pre-roll, post-roll ads, and I know about it, then I'm fine. I'm against taking my content, wrapping ads around it, and me not knowing about it, or not giving me the ability, you know, just taking my stuff, doing whatever you want, not giving me the ability to opt out of whatever you're doing. Those kind of things I don't like. And for the most part now, Stitcher is all opt-in. When they first launched... Like a lot of podcast directories, if I'm not mistaken, they were pulling shows in from some external source, probably the iTunes API, and they were pulling shows in and adding them to Stitcher, and people were finding out you know, after the fact, and then they were all upset, and you know, they had to go to Stitcher and ask them to take it out or whatever. But they don't do that anymore. The only way that you can get into Stitcher is you've got to specifically go there, go into their, por- their portal, ask them to add your show. And I actually think this acquisition by Midroll may be good for Stitcher because Stitcher was purchased by Deezer. So I believe Mm -hmm. that this is the first time a, I don't know if significant is the right word, but a noteworthy podcasting app, platform, what have you, has been acquired twice. I don't think that's happened yet. So, uh, uh, an asterisk there for podcast history buffs. And after the Deezer acquisition, Deezer clearly didn't know what to do with it. Obviously, they were thinking much like Spotify, well, we're going to roll podcasting into our music thing, and then we'll have all this content sort of side-by-side. People can get access to all of it. And since that time, Stitcher has had some technical issues, and people have had a lot of complaints about it. What I heard most recently on the New Media show is, uh, I think it was the New Media show, where uh, Todd Cochran said that, you know, basically from its peak point, Stitcher's gone from about 7% market share to 3%, so a little better than half. So clearly, they've had some challenges, and maybe the acquisition by Scripps Midroll will put some more money and energy into the app and make it better. I think the doomsday scenario that a lot of people are thinking is because mid-roll's business is ads, all of a sudden Stitcher's going to become inundated with ads everywhere. And the show that I know of ours that we produce that's on there, I don't, I actually don't know if Podcaster News is on there because I've never checked and that's a whole other story. But if suddenly I found out that, you know, they're just indiscriminately injecting ads into the middle of the show or stuff like that, where it's really just killing 
the the flow the the <laughs> the experience you know? for people yeah. who are listening to it that way then i would ask them to stop doing that if they won't do it then i would pull the show out but you know th- i still presumably would have that option but i think what gruber and marco are prognosticating about is something that we should at least be considerate of in podcasting right now which is there is going to be more of a move on the part of the big moneyed interests to put podcasts into these proprietary platforms because it's easier for them to track you and the Mm -hmm. way you listen and that's the information they want and we talked about this a bit on one of the recent shows with that big Wall Street, uh, no, uh, New York Times article that came out right. mm-hmm. about Apple allegedly meeting with these, you know, big cheese podcasters, and you know th- these podcasters complaining that they get no real stats or or user information from from Apple regarding people that consume podcasts through iTunes. So we we do need to be aware that this is a trend that's going to continue. And I think the ultimate takeaway is if you're an independent podcaster, like I suspect most people listening to this show are, then just be aware of where your show is being syndicated and what it sounds like there and be ready to take action if you feel like a particular platform is using your content in a way that you don't agree with. I think there's also a bigger picture here. Um, as well. I don't know that it's a doomsday picture, but it might be. Um, so right now you've got Stitcher, which is owned, you know, been purchased by uh, EW Scripts, which also owns Midroll. Right. Okay. So EW Scripts owns two of these big things that have to do with podcasting. And I'm wondering if some of the people that are kind of getting upset about this are seeing similarities between, hey, this one company owns all this stuff, like you see with, say, television networks. Where you've yeah. got just a handful of television networks, a handful of you know ones that really own all these other things, and you know that it sort of it's not really a monopoly, but it kind of you know sort of you know well like with the TV things, you know like what's your chance of getting your show on a television thing, you know well not likely yeah what's your chance of getting into a giant company that's got all this stuff right now they want you there because they want to track all the stuff you mentioned and things like that but it kind of feels like you could in the future have a series of this big company owns all these apps and ad uh yeah. delivery services and that well, one owns the other ones and your show can only be on one well you and, know and, and i mean i think i can see where looking ahead in a doomsday scenario you're seeing not the expansion of podcasts being everywhere but making it much smaller in order to appease advertisers not podcasters yeah, yeah i agree with that i think that there is a very real concern and you can kind of point to some things that are already happening. Speaking of Midroll, which also owns the Earwolf Podcast right. Network, they have their own app called Howl. It's a proprietary app. Right. You pay a monthly fee it's and you get connected. access to that. And it's only that. I can't ask them to add my show to Howl. I can ask them. They won't they do won't it. They won't do it. Yeah. So these kind of things are going to happen, and in some ways, I guess it's a logical evolution of the medium, but you know, it is a thing we need to be aware of, that over time, as these big moneyed interests come in, 
They're going to be more interested in keeping everything inside their own walled gardens. And one of the great things about podcasting is it kind of is this last vestige of the old open internet in Mm -hmm. the way that it works. Yeah. And we know how this has played out on the web. So it seems inevitable that it'll probably play out in podcasting as well. But if we're all aware of what's going on, maybe we can slow down the process. I don't know. Or at least make it, you know, so that it's beneficial for podcasters instead of harmful. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Okay, so what's the next thing you found? Okay, so moving on, I've got a blog post on the Audio Boom uh, blog. Yeah. Audio Boom used to be Audio Boo Boo. (laughs) way back in the day. And I remember because it was such a cute little name. It's like, it's an Audio Boo. (laughs) And now it's an Audio Boom. And it says, uh, the title of this is Find Great Music for Your Podcast. And this goes back to something we've talked about before. You know, you got to make sure that um, what you're using is something legal to use. You can't just right. take that song you heard on the radio and stick it in your podcast and expect no problems. Um, you know, you have to be very careful about what's released for use on podcasts. And so they're kind of talking about um, two main, well, maybe two, yeah, two main concepts. One is why music matters in podcasting. And I'll leave you to read that. But I'm going to go into, you know, how to get music for your podcast because as someone who did and two shows that were primarily music based podcasts, um, I can tell you it's changed over the years, you yeah. know? Um, so the, the best ways to get pod safe music, which they put in quote pod safe quotes, like, yeah. okay, that's cute. But they did add a link. If you don't know what that means, um, they have two options for you that they suggest. One is work with a composer. So, you know, you got a friend who's in a band, uh, see if they'll make like an intro thing for you or a bumper, you know, while they're, you know, working on rehearsals or something, you know? And then make that clear that this is what you're going to use it for and, you know, use it in your podcast. That way you've totally got permission from this band, you know, whatever. You could make your own if you're talented. Um, Their other option is a source from music libraries. And they're specifically saying make sure the songs are under Creative Commons licenses. Um, Sometimes you have to purchase one of these licenses before you can use music that's under, you know, that's released under that. Like I think Jamendo yeah. has like a licensing fee right. um, kind of thing. And they've got a couple of things in here that you can look at that might give you some stuff, but that's kind of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like back in the day <laughs> when I was first doing um, a music podcast and, and then a second one as well, there were all these sites where musicians were putting their stuff and they were freely giving it out to podcasts to be played on podcasts because at the time the idea was more people will hear it and maybe they'll buy my music. And I think that occurred for some people, obviously not everyone, but um, one of the more recent uh, music-based podcasts I did came to an end for a number of reasons. And at the time it was coming to an end, interestingly enough, it happened to coincide when most of our sources of pod safe music were drying up. Some of them just ended. Some of them uh, required a licensing fee, which the podcast didn't make any money. So it didn't make sense to pay for, for that particular thing. Another one uh, used to represent bands for podcasts and then uh, moved on to something entirely different, but still music related, but not for not what they were doing before. So it's really limited now. If you want to put, you know, safe legal music on your show, um, that's kind of what you're, you're kind of down to, you know? Yeah. And 
This topic is one that we could exhaust many hours trying to cover, and it seems like as podcasting has evolved, the dilemma of adding music to your podcast has evolved as well. It used to be good advice to just say, well, if you know something's under Creative Commons, that's okay. And I think for the most part, that's still all right. Mm-hmm. But you know, and they used to say back in the day, they used to say, "Well, if you if you if it's a song that's on the radio and you use less than thirty seconds or less nah, than ten seconds, that's not true anymore. They can come after you for yeah, those thirty seconds or I, ten seconds. And if you're doing a podcast that involves a video that's on YouTube, that thirty seconds or ten seconds of somebody's owned music from like you know a well known distributor or something, um, that's enough to have them, you know, go after your video, your entire video, even though you used only 10 seconds and have it taken down, you know? Yeah. So you gotta be really super careful. Um, so this is just some ideas on there. And then it also goes into why music matters and I'll leave you to read that. Yeah. So don't do their whole blog. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think the blog it post itself makes it's some good. valid yeah. points. Yeah. And I was talking earlier about creative commons music and, you know, one of the issues that you can run into probably with just about any music you source from an external provider is licenses can change. Right. And that's why almost anything can be tricky. And I think their advice to work with the composer is actually really good because under those circumstances, you can create, a, you can drop a contract with them. Right. Which just says, okay, you're going to create this music for me. I'm going to buy it from you and you I'm will use it in my show. And I'm well, yes, I'm going to use it in my show, but you're going to buy it from them and you are going to become the de facto rights holder that, you know, they can't come back to you in a year or five years and say, well, that thing I, I made for you, you've been using it for years and you owe me royalties because of X, Y, Z. If you don't get that in writing, you know, they might be able to pull that on you. But right. But the other thing is like that way, this little piece of music that they made for you under, you know, your own, your, the deal you guys made, um, you know, years later, you can't have, maybe that artist gets really popular and gets signed to some music industry or music label yeah. who now wants to uh, own all of their stuff, who's going to come back and say, well, that piece he made years before we owned him, we own that now and we're going to come after you, you right. know? And and that's the thing. Like, I know I've played, well, I don't know for certain, but I suspect that I've played music on podcasts that at the time were just, you know, regular artists going, "I we own this, we released this under Creative Commons, who now are on a label." somewhere yeah you know and so i can't re-release any of those shows intact with the music in it because it's scary now because it could be risky even though at the time it was legal so you got to be really careful yeah yeah well the next item that is on our list i think we're going to skip because we've talked so much about the first few items and it's just another article about npr and we all hear enough about npr as it is But the last two things on the list are things that I brought, and I want to talk about them for a couple of different reasons. Uh, The first one is called The 22 Most Influential Women in Podcasting by Alex Laughlin, and that was posted to Medium. And I mainly wanted to bring it up because this list was posted in response to a list that was posted by another website called Collision Media. They listed the 22... I don't know, 22 influential, most influential, can't remember the exact title, uh, names or people in podcasting. And they got it, a lot of. They got a lot of feedback yeah. on it, and their list actually has been removed. 
And uh, this uh, writer, Alex Laughlin, she made her list in response to Collisions List because Collisions List was very male-heavy and didn't really have a lot of uh, female representation. What had two women on the list. If you read her post, she says that the Collision List included Sarah Koning of Serial and Mm. Megan Tan of Millennial. Both are great choices, but the list was, you know, what was it, 22? It was 22 people, and they only could come up with two women. So she came up with her own list, and, and that's great. And, you know, I went over the list. And this is just my own personal observation. And I'm not taking away anything from any of the women on this list. They all seem like they're accomplished. They deserve all the credit. It's not about that from my perspective. But I saw a list of a lot of people that personally I didn't immediately recognize. Again, this is not a criticism of them or their work. Just for me, as someone who's been podcasting for a long time, pays a certain amount of attention to the space. I saw some names I recognized, but I saw a lot more that I didn't immediately recognize. And there was a really good comment on the uh, the Medium post by uh, Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl, kind of laying out that there's a whole lot of women who are at least as accomplished as some of the women that are on this list and you should consider, you know, looking into them. And she listed some of them, and, and she included herself, which I think is fair enough because, you know, Grammar Girl has been an institution in podcasting for, for as long as long podcasting has been around. Yeah. And one of the first real, one of, if not the first real breakout success stories from podcasting being this thing that we're all just kind of doing and we don't really know where it's going to becoming like an actual noteworthy business thing. And it's, you know, got a whole network and it's uh, owned by Macmillan, you know, the the big publishing company. I mean, this is not a small thing right? Mm -hmm. or, you know, a, a little achievement. It's kind of a big deal. And that's only one instance. And I just wanted, I guess, to bring it up because I can't help from coming from, I guess, my own perspective, having my own biases, that anytime I see coverage that just kind of looks at the East Coast media bubble sphere and talks about how everybody from there is great and kind of ignores the other 95% of podcasting, it just kind of bothers me and I guess that's why I wanted to mention it. Okay. I don't know what, what your enough. thoughts are. But. Well, my thoughts are, at the very least, this list that's been put together does point out women in podcasting. And yes. that's as, you know, as we've seen with the collision list, there are a lot of people who make these kinds of lists and who mention, you know, oh, here's the best podcasters or whatever that completely exclude women or almost entirely exclude women. So at least we've got a list here that has women on it and are the entire list. You know, I mean, we yeah. need more of that. And she's included like a variety of people in here, which is pretty good. They probably are kind of, you know, from all from the same area. I'm not sure. I didn't completely research everything about this. I'm seeing a lot of WNYC, you know, in here. Yes. Um, which isn't bad, you know. Um, and some of these names I recognize. I know who they are, you know, that kind of thing. And um, this is kind of neat. But, I mean, at least we have one. You know, what we need, you know, the problem with the collision list, which I hadn't seen before it got removed, but I've heard plenty about. Yeah, um, me either. You know, uh, the problem with the collision list 
there's probably more than one problem. A problem with the collision list was that it said, here's the most influential people and mostly included men. Yeah. But almost, almost no women. 22 people on the list, two were women. That's kind of not quite equal, you know? No. Um, at all. It's, it's a very big thing there. And so that's part of the problem. But the bigger problem is whoever put together the collision list, it never occurred to them to include anyone other than men or it barely occurred to them. Right. You know, and I don't know how many people of color were on there, or if they were from different parts of the United States, if they were from different countries, how diverse they got. You know, um, I have no idea because I haven't seen that particular list. But I think that's part of the problem. Now, if you start making lists of, you know, uh, influential women in podcasting. Uh, now, this particular one we're pointing at named it the 22 most influential women in podcasting in response to collisions list because it was 22. So that's specifically why that's, you know, that way. Um, But if you start adding more and more things and highlighting more, you know, more women, more people of color, more um, people from different parts of the United States, more people from different parts of the world, instead of just, you know, a a large group of mostly white men, more people who don't just work for NPR. That would be a good thing as well, you know. um, Other big media organizations. Yeah, you know, start highlighting some of these smaller ones that um, you don't have an entire large company financing them or behind them or you know um you know some of the smaller ones as well you start doing this you start broadening everybody's view of what podcasting is who can do it who's involved you know what i mean yeah and it it grows bigger i mean all these years podcasting started in what 2005 right Uh, 2004 2004 okay so podcasting started in 2004 and we're sitting here in 2016 and we have lists pop up that almost have no women i mean (laughs) you know this is a problem that needs to change and i think that this list she's created at least is towards that change you know yeah i'm not saying this is the most perfect list ever i'm saying it adds something you know anyway well the last item on our list here is another one that i added And it's really been kind of a gift that's just kept on giving. It really made my week last week because this was something that someone actually took the time to create around this idea. The article is titled, For its new personal finance podcast, 538 set up voicemail to hear from listeners. It is by Ricardo Bilton for Neiman Lab. I just was kind of gobsmacked at first by this because talking about podcasting being around since 2004, podcasts having voicemail lines is not a new thing. And I just had to scratch my head a little bit that this was the tack that they took to write about this. And a lot of us... uh, who could be described as veterans, I guess, kind of left comments on that article sort of stating as much that, you know, having voicemail on a podcast is really not all that groundbreaking. People have been doing it for a long time. I mean, yeah. I yeah. started I started listening to podcasts in October of 2004, and I kind of remember within those first couple of months of me listening that there were a few shows. I remember Don and Drew was one that people got all excited about because they had set up a voicemail line. People Mm -hmm. could leave messages and then they could play, you know, those messages back on the show. And it was 
as close to kind of a radio-esque thing as anybody could do back then because doing, you know, live shows and having people call or Skype in or whatever, the technology just wasn't (laughs) there yet. Mm -hmm. So it was like this big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, every podcast was heading over to k7.net to get a a voicemail number. And and I had one of those back when I started in 2005. Uh, K7 has unfortunately closed, but it's not a, a new thing. And I actually tweeted this with kind of a snarky comment about, hey, this is big news. A podcast got a voicemail line. And one of the producers of the show for 538 actually responded to that. And he said, you know, that aspect of the way they covered it was as surprising to me as it was to anyone else. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll take the publicity. And I, I said, hey, you know, all publicity is good publicity. Uh, no, no implied snark towards you or your show, and he liked my comment. So I'm hoping, so he's probably agreeing with you then. I, yeah. I'm hoping that means that uh, you know there's no uh, hard feelings between us because that was not the intent. I was really kind of going after Neiman Lab in right. my commentary, right. kind of going, how disconnected are you f- from everything? Where suddenly it's groundbreaking for a podcast to have a voicemail line because you know Neiman Lab obviously. They have their own thing that they're that they work on, and they're trying to make it more appealing for big companies to advertise in podcasts. And I'm sure that a lot of the shows they work with are not at the necessarily at the independent level. They they probably are some of the kind of big money shows we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. and those right. shows don't need a voicemail. So I kind of get it from a certain perspective, but on the other hand, I just kind of went, "This is how." You decided to approach that? It's just like... It's a little weird. Wow. Yeah, it's a little weird. Um, I got to wonder, as a writer who's written for various things, I know that in some situations, the writer gets to choose the headline that appears above their work, and in some situations, they don't. There's an editor Mm -hmm. somewhere doing it. I have no idea which way this went, okay, (laughs) with Neiman Lab. I don't know. I don't know if the writer picked that this voicemail thing was should be is important enough on its own to be kind of the title, or if uh, an editor who knows not so much about podcasting kind of thought that was the key. Um, They do talk a lot about the you know the voicemail and and yeah, I mean people's voices throughout the. I'm looking at the article and it is a kind of a lot about that, but. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a weird thing that's popped up that's definitely brought a lot of conversation among podcasters since it appeared. Well, it's brought a lot of snarky comments among that's, podcasters, yeah, at least yeah. the ones I know. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's all I had, Jen. Do you have anything else for this episode? No, I think we're we're pretty good on that. Okay. Well, we'd like to thank you for listening. You can find us at podcasternews.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter at Shawno, S-H-A-W-N-O, Jen. I'm at Queen of Haiku on Twitter, and it's a private account. So if you send a follower request and I can figure out who you are and that you listen to the show, then, of course, I'll accept it. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. And with any luck, we'll be back in a couple weeks with some more news from the world of podcasting. Bye, people.